You're listening to highlights from the Creative Processes interview with Jack Horner. This podcast is supported by the Yan Michelski Foundation. I found my first fossil when I was six years old, and I found my first dinosaur bone when I was eight, my first dinosaur skeleton when I was 13. When I was a kid, I knew I wanted to be a paleontologist, and I didn't think there was much hope for it, though. I was doing very poorly in school, getting Fs, just basically failing everything, but having fun out wandering in the hills, finding things. And so I think I was always a pretty positive kid. And so even though I wasn't doing well in school, I was really happy about the fact that I was finding all these cool fossils and. I was making collections. I don't know when it came to me that I would do this, but I think I just was born this way. When I'm looking for a fossil of some sort, I'm walking around, I'm concentrating on the ground and I'm looking for anything that's out of the ordinary. And I'm constantly trying to challenge my own ideas in what I expect. In other words, we know what we have found in the past and how we have found it. And as I walk through the Badlands, I'm always challenging myself as to what I have found and how I have found it. Our ideas of dinosaurs continue to change. When I went to college, when I first went to college, the professor that taught paleontology, when I told him I wanted to study dinosaurs, he just laughed at me and he said, We know everything there is to know about dinosaurs. They're boring. They're just big reptiles that went extinct. We study mammals here. And so I had to learn about fossil mammals while I was going to college because people didn't work on dinosaurs. And if you go back and look at pictures from those days, that was the idea was the dinosaurs were these big giant reptiles that were just walking around looking for a place to go extinct. It just so happened that that was right around the time that a guy named John Ostrom at Yale University challenged that idea. My interest in dinosaurs coincided with this time when people were learning a lot more about dinosaurs. And and so early in my career, when we found baby dinosaurs, the baby dinosaurs actually helped support the idea that they were more bird-like because it showed that dinosaurs cared for their young and brought food to their babies and lived in colonies and they were very social creatures like birds. And so that was a huge change in the way people thought about dinosaurs. And more recently, we've even learned that they're even more social than what people even thought back then, that they traveled in these giant herds and there were probably family groups. And then more recently, we've also learned that the characteristics that birds have were probably characteristics that dinosaurs had before them. In other words, the whole very colorful, the colorful palette that we see in birds was probably evolved by dinosaurs. So dinosaurs were probably vividly colored. They probably danced and sang. Basically all the things we think of as bird-like probably are characteristics that dinosaurs invented. The Horner Science Group is a 
company that my friend Audrey O'Connell and I started. And the idea was to see if we could venture into some other, well, away from academics and into the world of business. And I'm an educator and I'm interested in educating people about what dinosaurs were really like. And one of the ways to do that is through making exhibits, working on exhibits for museums or, or for whatever venue that we could find to put them in. And so working with some of these other companies that make things like exhibits and actually work with them to try to update their ideas of what dinosaurs were like. And so we're doing a lot of that. And at Chapman, you teach a course, The Origin of the Universe, Life, and Consciousness? Yeah, I know. I start with, we just basically go through the origin of the universe, the origin of life. And we even talk about whether any of it even exists. Existence of things has a lot to do with scale. We think of ourselves, we're really big and, you, you, you know, we can touch ourselves and feel something that seems solid. But even we know that we're made of atoms and atoms really an individual atom isn't a solid structure it's just energy so it's just a matter of scale fortunately when you look at the scale of the universe from strings and string theory to galactic walls and galactic clusters it's a huge span of sizes right of everything so and we're fortunately in the middle so you can get into an awful lot of philosophy and you can get mired in all sorts of things. And in my class, I just breeze past a lot of the complexity to it. And we look at it from a very reductionist point of view, not necessarily simple, but we talk about tie the whole thing together so we can think about it from different aspects and different scales. It becomes easy once you start tying things together to talk about atoms and molecules and consciousness all in the same sentence, really. I'm comfortable moving anywhere in time. So I can imagine myself back sitting on a hillside watching the dinosaurs or further back looking at Pangea or just basically anywhere in time. It's hard for me to imagine the future, although some parts of the future are think about geology. We can think about the changes that will occur. It's hard to think about, and, and even ecosystems, they're pretty easy to think about in the future, as long as us humans don't mess them up. <laughs> the dinosaur extinction, the dinosaurs didn't really have much to say about it. A meteor crashed into the earth and wiped them out. So. We, on the other hand, are creating quite an extinction right now, and we actually could do something about it, but we're not going to do anything about it because we're just greedy. We always just slough it off to the next generation. They can fix it, we say. I'm a war baby, right? I was born in 1946, and by 1964, when I graduated from high school, our generation was going to fix everything. And yet we became the biggest consumers in the history of the world. So we didn't fix anything. We just made a bigger mess. So I don't think we can leave it up to anybody because everybody wants a piece of the pie. In all the projects you've been talking about, I'm curious about if you have one, what your favorite project to work on has been. 
And if you have a favorite part of the research and discovery process. Interesting question. I love everything that I do. There aren't any projects that I really didn't like. So the dino chicken project is pretty cool. The project that we call, I called it the Hell Creek project, where we went out into the Hell Creek formation and collected everything. We collected dinosaurs and fossil mammals and turtles and crocodiles and fish and leaves and everything and pieced together a whole ecosystem. That was pretty fun. I really liked that. It was unpredictable. There's no way to predict what you're going to find when you go out looking for something. You can't say, oh, I'm going to just go out today. You spoke about experiencing the world in a non-linear way and how it's brilliant how you've overcome the stigma of being differently abled. And I just think about all the generations of young people whose talents weren't spotted when we were just looking for one kind of intelligence, one way of seeing the world. You have projects where I believe you help students with similar learning challenges. They are spatial thinkers. They are special spatial thinkers. They're brilliant people. And if we could get them in a bunch together, I think we could do some pretty cool things with them because they just, they operate differently than linear thinkers do. Linear thinkers easily get together because that's the norm for our society, but gathering together a bunch of dyslexic students and getting them all to realize that their talents are really special. Could you share some of your memories about the beauty and wonder of the natural world? Anytime that I am out in nature, I'm not always in the present. I oftentimes drift back into the past in different levels. So I live in time, I guess. What would you like young people to know, preserve and remember? If there's something in this world you want to be, if you have the ambition, if you have the passion to be something and you have the ambition to go for it, then go for it. Be what you want to be. And don't worry about what other people say. If you have a passion to do something, then go for it. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.